0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Or the grace that you lavish so lovingly upon us. <clears throat> the Lord, this morning as we look into literally a very simple topic, but yet so often is missed by so many. I pray that you would work in a very special way in all our hearts, and I pray that your name would be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, if you'll turn to Philippians chapter 1, and I think the message this morning may be the simplest message I've ever preached, at least I hope it is, because our text this morning cuts like a surgeon's knife to the heart of Christianity. What is Christianity? It's baffled those outside the faith for centuries. It's not a religion. It's not ritual. It's not practices. It's not pilgrimages. What is Christianity? Literally, Christianity is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. All that is rightly associated with Christianity finds at its center, or at the, is at the very center of Jesus Christ. John Stott, as correctly written, quote, "...the person and work of Christ are the foundation rock upon which Christian religion is built." Take Christ from Christianity, and you disembowel it. There is nothing left. So this brings us to an area that I think is very important, and that is that many form- or formulate false conclusions. Many people do not realize this. They see only the peripheral of Christianity. Consequently, they form false conclusions about the essence and reject these these key points of what Christianity is. Now, if you've ever heard the story about the 1967 Soviet launch of a space probe that was sent to Venus, it was designed to send back information about the climate, about, about the atmosphere of Venus. And it stopped sending data 3,774 miles from the center of the planet, presumably because it had crashed on the surface. The information on the probe gathered, though, was quite interesting. It gave temperature and atmospheric pressure, and it gave the idea that perhaps there could be life on Venus. Of course, in time, scientists began to realize and determine that the radius of Venus was only 3,759 miles, meaning that the space probe stopped transmitting 15 miles above the surface. And so all the data was misleading. In the same way, thousands of well-meaning people stopped receiving data When they are miles away from the heart of Christianity. For many people, a knowledge of Christianity is simply contact with those who they know to be Christians. They identify Christianity with so-called Christian character, and since many believers are far from what God intends them to be, the data gives a false impression. Other people actually get into the atmosphere, perhaps as far as the organization, and then conclude that Christianity is the visible church, almost like identifying life within a test tube full of chemicals. The results are meaningless. Still, other people get as far as the ceremonies of the church, and often pass for Christians because they practice correctly, the fact that so many congregations are filled with these kind of people, is a reason why Christianity is so weak today. You see, it's not that God is silent or that he has left us alone. It comes back to the point that we have stopped receiving data. We have false identity of what Christianity really is. Christianity Is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing about Christianity will be rightly understood until there is faith in Christ and a personal relationship. So, what is so wonderful about the book of Philippians and about our passage this morning is that it gives us the living essence of Paul's faith. This truth was well known to Paul, and our text this morning is a great expression of what it is about. Philippians 1, 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This morning I want to spend all our time on the first part. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. This verse should be taken together with Galatians 2.20, which is Paul's definitive documentary on it. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, in the flesh I live, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These two verses, one taken from the early part of Paul's ministry and the other from the end, summarize the living essence of Paul's faith. Put the two together and you have a great expression of what was undoubtedly the heartthrob of Paul and quite frankly, should be the heartthrob of you and I today. Have you ever looked into a kaleidoscope? The colors are brilliant arrangements of shapes and sizes, but they become even more beautiful when you turn it. And the beauty increases as the kaleidoscope is turned. And our text from Philippians is like that. It's It's beautiful in itself, but it's even more beautiful as it's turned about and seen from different perspectives. What does it mean to say that Christianity is Christ or that Christian life is Christ? Well, as we turn the text like a kaleidoscope, there's three key things that come. First, faith in Christ. Second, it's fellowship with Christ. And it is following Christ. And what I'd like to do this morning is just focus the rest of our time on those three simple points. Number one, faith in Christ. When you say Christianity is Christ, you say in the first place that Christianity is faith in Christ. It's the acknowledgement that you can do nothing to save yourself. That you deserve hell rather than heaven and that God in his infinite mercy has drawn you to himself and by accepting him you have salvation and this is the very essence of galatians 2:20 to understand the verse properly we must first take a look at the historical background of galatians the churches of galatia were among the first that paul had founded and they were particularly close to paul's heart paul endured great hardships Traveling through Galatia, which is now central Turkey, there was much illness and stonings and great persecution. But there was also much fruit. And everywhere Paul went, he planted congregations of believers. How Paul loved these people. And how he rejoiced with them as they understood the truth. But as Paul moved on and founded churches in other areas... Like crows following a farmer as he plows his field, non-believers came trying to profit on Paul's ministry. They came with great show of authority and much human wisdom. They taught that salvation had also to do with good and works. They talked about the Jewish people and how they personally knew the Jewish the, Jew, the uh, Jewish apostles. And they even questioned Paul's apostleship. Word got to Paul, and as you can imagine, he was very angry, righteous anger. And so he writes back to the Galatians. And one of the key parts is in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ And are turning to a different gospel. Now remember, he's talking to Christians. He's astonished how easily they've been pulled aside. Now Paul's main thrust here is that others are preaching a different gospel of salvation. But you know, there's also something else here that we don't want to miss. You see, all too often... When life gets difficult, many Christians get very disillusioned. They get angry, frustrated, and many walk away. Many's commitment wanes. Their commitment to the things of Christ and ministry are almost non existent. And it's because, in their frustration, they've actually been pulled by a different gospel. It's no longer Christ in me to lead me and guide me and take care of me. It's He's not doing the job because I'm hurting. And we begin to listen to a different gospel. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, let him be accursed. As as we have said before, so now I say again. Okay, if you didn't get it the first time, let me say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You know, sometimes that preaching comes from your own head. As you pull yourself away from the grace that God is laying before you. Praise God we can't lose our salvation. But we sure can distort the plan that God has laid out for us. For Paul, salvation was by faith in Christ alone, and he expressed this vividly in his communication. Are you trusting Christ for your salvation? Now, earlier I mentioned that those who reject Christianity do it by stopping short of what they see in other people. Unfortunately, many of these persons also trust these things for salvation. Do you have faith in relics? Do you improve your, your seek to improve your human character? Are you relying on practices, your church attendance? You must let God strip them away like worn-out clothes. Christianity is faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And the gospel preaches relationship. Another aspect of the truth of Christianity is that Christianity is fellowship with Christ. The fact is a necessary complement to the truth that Christianity is faith in Christ. For Christians often tend to think of faith impersonally. Christianity is a belief in Christ, but it is also communion or fellowship with him. And fellowship must be cultivated. A.W. Tozer once said, The modern scientist has lost God amidst the wonders of his word. We Christians are in real danger of losing God amidst the wonders of his word. We have almost forgotten that God is a person, and as such can be cultivated as a person. You see, in our humanness and our misunderstanding, we kind of have this idea that God is just out there somewhere. We know the Bible teaches that when you accept Christ as Savior, He gives you the Holy Spirit, and the job of that Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth through the Word of God. But somewhere along the line, we kind of become abstract, and we have a hard time realizing that He is a person who is seeking that kind of fellowship. The fact that Christianity is a life to be cultivated is apparent in the early verses of 1 John. The writer of these verses is interested in the fact concerning the life of Jesus Christ, but his testimony doesn't stop with facts, nor is it given only to lead his readers to have a religious opinion. 1 John 1, verse 3 That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Doctrine must lead to fellowship, and fellowship must lead to the riches of the Christian life. He adds in the next verse, verse 4, And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. What is the title of our series? Joy No Matter What. In order to have complete joy, you must have a complete relationship. They are opposite sides of the same coin. And so the key that Paul wants us to see this morning is that you and I must have a living, breathing, active relationship with God. How unfortunate that so many Christians seem to go through life with sober attitudes or somber attitudes. They know the facts of Christian faith and they've trusted Christ for salvation, but there's no joy. They have not pursued the deeper relationship of two deeply close friends. The presence of our Lord brings joy. If you lack Christian joy, it may be that things are keeping you from him. If you need to set them aside and and spend time with God, then we need to do that. I think one of the great stories that illustrates this so well is the story of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were both friends of Jesus. In fact, it was Martha who ran to meet him when Jesus came after the death of Lazarus. It was she who expressed faith in the final resurrection in John eleven twenty four, 24, and then revealed her personal faith in Christ when she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, John eleven twenty one. 21. But when Jesus came to the house of Mary and Martha, it was Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus. And you know the story, Martha being a good host, she's screwing around, trying to get the food ready, get everything ready, and here's Mary just sitting there in front of Jesus, not helping her. So she goes to Jesus and she complains. And I love Jesus' response in Luke 10, 41 to 42, he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Can I ask you a personal question this morning? Are you anxious and troubled about many things? Be honest. He says, But one thing is necessary, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. And how often we get this backwards. We think our service is needed and our fellowship is dispensable. Nothing, nothing can be a substitute for cultivating the presence of God. We must literally practice the presence of God. Now, I've shared this many, many times, but I'm going to share it again because I think it's so important. When you read the Bible, you begin to realize that the whole purpose we were created was to glorify God. But in addition to that, God created us in His image for the expressed purpose of fellowship. So he created man to glorify God and to have fellowship. Of course, sin ripped that apart. When Adam and Eve sinned, every offspring from that point forward was born with a sin nature. But because God is rich in mercy and love, he made a plan and he sent his son to spend 33 years on this world to point us to the Father and then to die to pay the price for our sins. Now, here's the key. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, your original intended purpose was reactivated. As you sit here this morning You have one and only one purpose in life. To glorify God and to fellowship with Him. That's your single purpose. And from that, everything else flows. Your jobs, your family, your relationship, and everything else. You see, when we understand that it is a relationship with Christ, when you begin to realize that the deep desire of God is to fellowship with you because it's why he created you. And when you take the time to be on your knees, to be in the word of God, to allow the Holy Spirit to take you over, you begin to realize, as we often say, it's not about you. It's about him. And when your whole life focus becomes him, You know what happens when trials come into your life? You know what happens when the bottom falls out? You simply go to Christ, your Father, and know He's working through you. And know He's got this. And know that nothing comes into your life apart from His permissive will. So the simplicity of life for you and I is all tied in a relationship with Christ. Now, the problem is, we stopped receiving data miles from the center of Christianity. We've never allowed the Spirit of God to take us to the depths He has for us. Because I promise you, When you let that happen, you'll be racing past Paul. Because the great desire of your heart will be at the feet of Jesus. You will make the choice that Mary made. You will want to be at his feet. You will want to hear the words. You will want to be in the scriptures because you're living to glorify him. And knowing that and practicing that is what radically changes your life. It is such an important thing for you and I to understand. You cannot, you simply cannot separate glorifying God from fellowship with Him. It can't be done. Because only through fellowship can you learn to glorify Him the way He has set you apart. Now, to these truths, we must also add that Christianity means following Christ. The Christ in whom we believe is a Christ on the move. I find it fascinating that in its simplest form, Christ's call was always, follow me. It was the call that was given to Matthew. It was the call to the rich young ruler. It was the call to the multitudes who came after him. You see, the fellowship he was talking about was not a living room fellowship. It was an active going somewhere fellowship. But here's the key. You cannot fellowship with Christ unless you have forsaken what keeps you from that fellowship. Peter and Andrew left their nets. James and John left their father's ebony. Matthew left the money tables. You must leave whatever holds you from developing the deep relationship with Christ. What is it for you? It's different for all of us. For this to happen, Paul says there must be a crucifixion. It's true that Paul said, For me to live is Christ. It's true that he said again, the life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God. This is victory in the Christian life. But before Paul could say any of these things, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. Well, Paul, you're writing, you're walking around, you're breathing. What do you mean you don't live? No. I, Paul, died on the cross. The new Paul, the resurrected Paul, is now being led by the Spirit of Christ. For me to live is Christ. To have this relationship is no easy thing. There must be a tearing away before the disciple is set free, a death to self. It's the walk of the disciple who must bear his own cross. Our following of Christ must lead to the crucifixion of all we hold more important than our relationship with Christ. We must cast behind us anything and everything that hinders it. Through death to self, the power of our relationship to Christ is a life enjoyed by following Christ. Isn't it worth it to drop all you're doing and begin to focus on building that relationship with the one who purchased you and has promised to supply all your needs? Is it not worth making the choice that Mary made? As you sit here this morning, perhaps cumbered by many things, anxious about many things, troubled about many things, wouldn't it make more sense to just give them to Christ and pursue the relationship that will lead you through it? and allow Him to be glorified in what He's doing through you? How do we glorify Christ? By allowing Him to live through us. Because when Christ lives through you, the outcome of your life is God's way. The outcome of your life is the plan that He has set before you. And when you follow that plan, and your focus is on Him, and He is glorified, the fellowship is so sweet and so wonderful. It's such a blessing, and that's what he's promised. Our lives are so often scuttled because we have stopped collecting data miles away from the center of Christianity, and we've allowed our own mind, our own way, our own understanding to lead us. And when that happens, Christ is not glorified, and the relationship is a struggle. And this is the beauty of Paul. He says it so simply and so concisely. For me to live is Christ. There's nothing else to live for. There's no other way to live. You're heading to an eternity with him. Doesn't it make sense to walk with him today? Consider the amazing blessings that are just sitting there waiting for you to develop that relationship. Certainly doesn't mean your troubles go away. That's not going to happen this side of glory. It's the curse of a sin-sick world. But he will get you through them his way which is the most spectacular way to go. As I've said before, isn't it wonderful when your head hits that pillow at night to know that today, Jesus and I walk together. Today, he was glorified, not because of me, but because of what he did through me. That is a promise from the hand of God. From the heart of God. Simple? Yes. Easy? No. But when you, like Paul, say, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. There's no other way to live. And when that begins to manifest itself in your life, you won't be able to contain your lips, your heart, your legs. Because you'll just want to get out there and share it with everyone. What a blessing before us. Your relationship, what is it this morning? And Father, we thank you for the simplicity of Paul's words. How absolutely simple that it's tied up in a relationship. For certain, we must make tough decisions to die to our own desires, to die to our own wants and wishes. But to know the alternative is absolutely out of this world. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to move in and through us. Pull our hearts to you. Build that relationship that we might enjoy the amazing fruit that's there for us. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory for you're the only one who deserve it. And I ask all this in Christ's precious name. Amen. God bless.